Well, praise the Lord. We're thankful to God for yet another week that the Lord has brought us through. We're excited about what God is doing. We're excited about where we're going in the Lord. And God has given me a word to share with the church. And this word is also a word that could liberate those of you who may be listening but struggling with your faith or with a decision to believe in our God. So I hope that this word ministers to you. I pray that the Lord use me. I have to warn you, I feel really excited and passionate about this word. And any time that I'm passionate about something, I, I get excited and um, full of exuberance. So I will not apologize now if um, I get a little uh, louder in my vocal tonage, so to speak. I'll try to just speak this to you, but there's something about the Word of God that just ignites my soul. Uh, Jeremiah said it best, it's like a fire that's shut up in my bones and it's just dying to get out. It's, it's, it's something that is very difficult to contain and it's very hard to control in, in a sense. So uh, I ask that you bear with me. I won't hold you long today. Uh, I just want to drop this seed into your spirit, let it minister to you and bring life to you and remind you of some things that maybe we have begun as the church to overlook. I want to start out or give you a topic um, that we're going to use for this next couple of uh, Sundays, uh, and that is we need the blood. If there's one thing that we need, we need the blood. And I want to take an Old Testament text that has a New Testament revelation in it. Turn with me in God's word to the book of Leviticus, the 17th chapter and the 11th verse. And I'm going to read for your hearing where it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Now I want you to focus uh, wholeheartedly on that part of the text that says the life of the flesh is in the blood. It is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. You know that there are actually three elements in theology or in a, the theology of a strong church or what we would consider a strong church. And there are three elements in the spiritual backbone of a real believer. And those three elements are these, the Bible, the blood, and our blessed hope. You can't have a strong church. You can't have a strong believer without them having the Bible, the blood, and a blessed hope. Oh, the Lord is with me today. These three elements are actually found in one substance that you call, that we call, the blood of the Lamb of God. As a matter of fact, we pastors and teachers and preachers need to preach about the blood of Jesus more in these days than we're doing. We're really good at preaching prosperity. We're really good at preaching all of these wonderful truths uh, in, in the Word of God, but the most important 
the most prominent truth that we should be preaching to the world is the power that is in the blood. We need to preach about the blood of Jesus. In fact, the blood of Jesus is truly a glory story, not a gory story. It's a glory story, not a gory story. You see what I did there? You'll catch that at midnight. The Apostle Paul says this, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Christ our Lord, Galatians 6 and 14. You see, it's the precious blood of Jesus Christ that gives us something that we can glory in. And if you are not saved today, if you're not a Christian today, I, I need you to hear what I'm going to release into the atmosphere of your life because God Almighty, who loves your soul, has put Calvary with its blood-stained cross and its blood-drenched slope as a blockade to keep you out of hell. The blood of Jesus is the only way out of that destination. Let me talk to you today. Uh, let, me, let me start out with, with just uh, the beginning elements of this lesson that I want to get into today. Uh, I'm going to break this down for you uh, into three simple parts. There'll be three parts to this sermon. I'm going to give you part one today, uh, but this is going to be a trilogy. I'm letting you know now. This is going to be a trilogy. You're going to have a cliffhanger at the end of this. I'm letting you know now. Be ready for the cliffhanger because the cliffhanger is coming at the end of this. Uh, but let me just give you a, 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 a glimpse into where we're going. Uh, I'm going to break this down for you into three sequels or three parts of this, uh, this trilogy. The promise of the blood, the power of the blood, and the preciousness of the blood. Part one of this uh, series is the promise of the blood. Hallelujah. The promise of the blood. In the Old Testament, God was giving to the Israelites, his chosen people, the Jews, a promise that one day the Messiah was going to come and that the Messiah was not just going to come, but he was going to die on the cross. From the book of Genesis to the book of Re Revelation, there's a scarlet thread that runs through the entirety of the Bible that binds the Bible together. There's a highway of sorts lighted with the blood of Jesus. And if you take the Bible and you cut it in any place, I'm telling you, it's going to bleed. It will bleed with the blood of Jesus. As a matter of fact, do you know that the Bible tells us that Christ was slain before the foundation of the world? Uh, let, wrap your mind around that. The, the Bible declares in Revelation 13 and 8 that before the foundation of the world, Jesus was already slain. Before God created the world, in the mind of God, Calvary was already a finished work. It was a finished fact that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. Some people believe we preach an old gospel when we preach about the blood, but that's all right. They think that we need a new and modern gospel for a new and modern world. Uh, but what they don't truly realize or understand is what we're preaching when we talk about the blood is the true gospel, and it's a gospel that's really older than they realize because it's a gospel that predates humanity. It's older than the earth itself. It's older than our human history. It's before the foundation of the world that the gospel of the slain Savior 
would be preached. Ah, you ought to, you ought to get, grab a hold of that. that. That's something wonderful there. In the mind of God, even before you were created, God had already worked it out for you. So let, let's take a journey. As my friend uh, Elder, P, uh, or, uh, Elder Marshall likes to say, we're going to go on a journey. So then uh, as we go on this journey through the pages of history, we see how God is getting his people ready for a coming Messiah who is going to die upon the cross. Uh, that's Salvation 101. One, yeah, 101. It's, it's the basics of our faith. Uh, as a matter of fact, I want you to think back to our origin story. You know, when you watch superhero movies now, uh, they always give you like uh, the introductory movie, which is their origin story, where it all started, where it all came from. I want you to never forget our origin story. Back in the dawn of history, of human history, when God created Adam, and then God decided that he was going to perform the very first surgical operation in the history of mankind, when he opened up the side of Adam and took out of Adam a rib and made from that rib. Uh, he fashioned a beautiful creation called woman. And incidentally, I want you to understand that uh, there was a scientist by the name of Sir James Simpson, who was the man who actually discovered the chemicals uh, that put together would synthesize chloroform, uh, that they might, that people might not suffer in agony when they're being operated on. He's the father of chloroform or the father of the, the chemical that puts you to sleep when you have to have a surgery. And, and Sir James Simpson, he got his inspiration for chloroform from reading the word of God. As you look at his historical writings, you'll find that he said the first surgical operation was performed by God Almighty. He, he ought to know exactly what it was he was doing and the best way to accomplish it. And Simpson read in the Bible how God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. And so he thought to himself, that's the way surgery ought to be done. The, the patient ought to be put into a deep sleep. Uh, that's the way it ought to be done. So he created a chemical called chloroform so that you could be put into a deep sleep so that you could be uh, have surgery performed on you and not have to suffer with the agony that comes with surgery. Uh, now, when you look at God, God made this woman. Uh, then God Almighty uh, doesn't stop there with the first. Uh, he decides... Uh, after he created uh, Eve, he brings Eve and presents Eve to Adam. And then God Almighty performs the first great wedding in human history right there in the Garden of Eden. And the Bible declares that God caused them to become one flesh. Oh, happy were they. They walked in fellowship with God and they walked in fellowship with one another. If every marriage could just remember that, that as you walk in fellowship with God, you can walk in fellowship with one another and everything that they saw reminded them of God, their creator, God, their uniter. Uh, when they saw a flower and the flower would bloom, they would look at that flower and they would think to themselves, 
God's thoughts are in blossom. And when they saw a river, they would think to themselves, the river is God's thought in motion. And when they saw a mountain, they look upon the mountain and they would think to themselves, that mountain is God's thoughts piled up. You see, they loved the Lord. They loved the Lord God with all their heart. And they praised God with all of their being. Uh, but then one day, you know the story, the serpent would come into the pages of human history, would enter the annals of our time. Uh, he would lie to Eve. He would lie to Adam. And because of that lie, they would disobey God, and because of that disobedience, they fell into sin. And Adam and Eve, when they entered into sin, caused sin to enter into the world. And when sin entered the world, death by sin entered the world. And with death came sorrow and pain, groan and moan. Oh, all of these things came into the earth because of this thing called sin. God help me today. But then God Almighty took an innocent animal. He carved from that animal the skin uh, and he shed the blood of that animal. And then God came to Adam and Eve who incidentally at that time had recognized their nakedness and they fashioned for themselves garments made of fig leaves. Uh, they sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. And they were in the garden hiding from God. Then God came walking in the midst of the garden. And Adam said, I don't think I feel so good. And Eve said, neither. And they went to hide from the presence of God. Uh, man feels pretty good in his own robes of self-righteousness, sewn together and fashioned together by his nimble fingers, but those things are not going to stand in the sight of a righteous God. Oh, I'm here to tell you, saints, that what you put together is not righteous enough to make you righteous before an all-righteous God. So when God comes, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And God knew that it was in sin that they had broken their wonderful and pristine fellowship with him in the garden. And God made for them coats of skin. But God did it by the shedding of the blood. The Bible declares this, and you need to hold on to this, because this is the key to your deliverance. Without the shedding of the blood, there is no remission of sins. You'll find that in Hebrews, the ninth chapter, and the 22nd verse. Without the shedding of the blood, I know blood is gory. I know blood is nasty. No one likes the blood, but I'm here today. I was sent by God to tell you that without the shedding of the blood, there is no remission of sin. Help me, Holy Ghost. I feel the fire of the Holy Ghost on me. We come on down through the pages of the Bible, through continued human history, and we come to Genesis, the fourth chapter, and we find that here God has given to Adam and Eve two sons. The name of one son is Cain, and the name of the other is Abel. It's time for them to make a sacrifice. And the Bible says that Abel took a little lamb, the firstling 
of his flock, a precious lamb. And he sacrifices this lamb for God. And he poured out the blood as an offering, as an appeasement to the almighty God. And the Bible said that God had respect unto the offering of Abel. Ah, but then here comes Cain. Cain makes an offering to the Lord. And the Bible says that Cain would bring the fruit of the ground, of the works of his hands, an offering that he made, uh, an offering made not of blood, but of vegetables, of the fruit of the ground. It was beautiful. I tell you, it must have looked like a country fair. It wasn't gory like the sacrifice of Abel. Uh, what a beautiful and wonderful thing Cain's uh, sacrifice must have appeared to be, and everybody would who would have come along and seen it would have thought to themselves how aesthetic, how beautiful, how luscious, how gorgeous is this fruit offering to God. Ah, but the Bible says that God had respect towards Abel's offering and not towards Cain's offering. I know that Abel's offering was gory and uh, Cain's offering looked like it was beautiful, but God had respect unto Abel's offering and not Cain's offering. Abel's offering, not Cain's offering. You'll read about that in Genesis 4, 1 through 5. Uh, but the Bible teaches uh, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Oh, you, you got to hang your hat on that one. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So we keep on this journey. We come on down to the eighth chapter of my favorite book in the Bible, the book of Genesis. And we find that uh, the way that man had lived was a stench in the nostrils of God. So God says to himself, I'm going to destroy the world with a flood. And he saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. You read about that in 2 Peter, the second chapter in the fifth verse. And Noah came through that flood. And Noah knew that the ark was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who would one day come and shed his blood upon the cross. And the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 8 and the 20th verse that Noah offered a sacrifice. It wasn't any sacrifice. It wasn't a fruit sacrifice. It was a blood sacrifice. 8 and 20. Uh, we are going somewhere here here in the blood. Oh, after 2,000 years, there was still blood redemption that was needed for the salvation of man. Uh, the need is the same in the new dispensation after the ark as in the previous dispensation before the ark. Uh, the need is the same. There is still need for the blood. We come on down through the corridors of time just a little more and we read in the the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis where God would tell Abraham, Abraham take your only son and offer him up on Mount Moriah for a burnt offering, for a burnt sacrifice. Oh Lord help me. Uh, and Abraham in faith takes his precious boy. Remember his boy is 
the boy of promise, his only begotten son, who was a type, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Abraham takes wood, which is a type or a picture of the cross. And Abraham and Isaac and the wood, uh, they go up into that mountain on Mount Moriah together so that they can offer a sacrifice. And I want you to remember, when Abraham was about to plunge that gleaming knife into the beating bosom of his only son of promise, that the angel of God said, Abraham, stay your hand. God will provide a sacrifice. Now I want you to take a look at the description of the sacrifice that was provided by God. If you remember uh, in the story, there was a ram that is declared to have been caught in a thicket. Uh, do you know what it was caught with? Uh, it was caught with a crown of thorns. Uh, that's what he was caught with. There was a ram caught in the thicket wearing a crown of thorns. The very horns of the ram were entangled in the briars. Oh, you, you blood-bought, blood-born believers ought to remember the crown of thorns. And the ram, the Bible declares, was slain. And when the ram was slain, his blood was spilled. You can read about that in Genesis 22, 1 through 18. All the way through the Bible, we see there is a trickle of blood. Oh, there's blood from the beginning. There's blood in the middle and there's blood at the end. Oh, the blood, the blood, the blood. For the Bible said it is the blood that makes an atonement for your soul. And without the shedding of the blood, there is no remission of sin. Uh, then we come on down into the second book of the Bible. That's the book that comes after Genesis. Uh, that book is called Exodus. Let's jump on to the 12th chapter and we find that the Hebrews uh, are slaves in the land of Goshen, uh, in the land of Egypt, uh, and God calls Moses uh, and God says, Moses, uh, I want you to lead my people out. Uh, oh, but Moses was scared to death. Uh, he said, I can't. Uh, and God said, now you're ready. When you finally realize you can't. You read about that in Exodus, the third chapter and the fourth chapter, 1 through 23. You see, Moses spent 40, his first 40 years of life as a prince. And then he spent the next 40 years of his life as a pauper. And then he spent the last 40 years of his life as a prophet. You see, the first 40 years, he spent learning to be somebody. Uh, the second 40 years, he spent learning to be nobody. And the last 40 years, he spent learning what God could do with somebody who learned the first two lessons. You see, you won't be somebody if you can't learn how to be nobody. Oh, that'll preach right there. Help me, Holy Ghost. I feel the fire of God falling from heaven. Uh, Moses learned that he was nothing. And then God said, now Moses, I can lead you. I can use you. And so God took Moses to lead his people out of the land of bondage 
into the land of promise. Ah, but God said, now Moses, before they come out on that night, I want you to take the blood of the lamb. Every family, a lamb for a household. They are to slay the lamb. They are to take the blood and they're to take hyssop and they're to put the blood on the doorpost of the house and on the lintel of the house. And then he said, and when I see the blood, I will pass over. Ah, Exodus, the 12th chapter. Now in your imagination today, can you imagine someone saying, well, that's not quite aesthetic enough for me. I believe I'll write some poetry and put the poetry on the doorpost. Do you think your poetry would suffice for the sacrifice? Ah, do you think it would have been enough? Or maybe some of you think, I don't like blood, so I I don't want blood on my doorpost. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll bling my doorpost. I'll put rubies and diamonds and pearls and emeralds on my doorpost. I'll overlay the doorpost with these beautiful, precious things. Do you think that would have been enough to suffice? I tell you, nay, not in any of these things. For the Bible declares without the shedding of blood, there's no redemption of sin. The death angel visits every home where there is no blood. For God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Oh, do you have the blood on you? Do you have the blood on your doorpost? Or is the death angel making a visit to your house? Uh, perhaps somebody says, well, I don't want to kill a lamb. After all, it's the lamb that counts. I'll just put a live lamb out there, a spotless, live, living lamb. You know, there are a lot of people who think that they're saved by the life of Jesus. Oh, I'm getting ready to bust your bubble right here. You see, the devil wants you to think that it is the life of Christ that saves you. But let me speak some truth into you so that I can free you from the bondage that is a lie. It ain't the life of Christ that saves you. Ah, it's not the life or you living as Jesus lived that saves you. Uh, what saves you is the death of Jesus. Salvation does not come by learning lessons from the life of Jesus, but by receiving life from the death of Christ. And it is when Christ is crucified, it is when Christ is slain, it is when the blood is applied to the house that the the death angel of God will pass over you. It ain't the life of Jesus that saves you. It's the death of Jesus that saves you. It's not the life or the blood that's in the veins of Jesus that saves you. It's the blood that came out of the veins of Jesus that was poured out on Calvary. Hallelujah. It's the blood of the Lamb of God, the only begotten of the Father, the one that is and was and is the come life everlasting it is his poured out blood that saves you hallelujah god help me uh, let me let me keep on moving here. I don't want to hold you. Ah, the, the Hebrews, uh, if you go on and continue to read, you'll find that the Hebrews have a tabernacle. Uh, they're out in the wilderness, and God gives them some strange instructions 
for that day. Uh, they call this day the Day of Atonement. It comes once a year. Oh, the high priest will get a little lamb. Uh, not Mary's little lamb, but they will get a little lamb. Uh, they'll put their hands on it and they will pray upon it uh, the sins of the people. Uh, and then they will take this sacrificial knife and uh, they will cut the, the jugular of the vein of that lamb. And the blood is poured into a bowl. Uh, and then uh, the high priest will take the blood. They'll go behind the thick curtain that parts uh, the the holy of holies from the holy place. Uh, it's the inner sanctum, the place where God himself dwelt in all his Shekinah glory. And he goes back there, the priest, with the blood. Uh, do you know how long the priest would stay back there in the holy of holies with the blood? Uh, the priest would stay back there for three hours, uh, there's something significant uh, about the number three. Uh, have you ever wondered why there was darkness upon the face of the earth uh, for three hours uh, when Jesus was crucified? Uh, that's because he, as the high priest, uh, was going behind the veil. This is why the Old Testament priest uh, would stay behind that veil for three hours. Uh, and when the people waited, uh, and finally after the priest, had come back and offered the blood as an atonement for their sins, as a temporary putting away of sin until the permanent fix would come. That is, Jesus would die on the cross. Ah, and do you know what he said when he came out? When the priest would come out from behind the veil after that three hours, the priest would come out after the sacrifice from the Holy of holies, from being in the presence of Almighty God, standing in the Shekinah glory of God, the priest would utter some very significant words. As a matter of fact, it would be three words that the priest would utter. It would be three words that would change the life of every man, woman, boy, and girl in the nation of Israel. It was three words that would be declared that would reshape their future. It was three words that would be uttered, that three words that you would hear again in the future. The priest would come out from behind the veil and the priest would declare, it is finished. Oh, somebody ought to be running around their house right now shouting glory to God because God finished it. Ah, oh, God finished it. Ah. Oh. The people would wait uh, and the priest would come out and he would say, it is finished. Uh, that's what he would say. Every time he came out, uh, year after year, he would declare, it is finished. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, these Jews had heard these words uh, when the high priest came out of the holy place. Uh, after offering the blood, uh, it is finished. Uh, what do you think the Jews thought uh, when they stood there at Calvary and Jesus is making his statement. You know, we preach about it during Easter, the seven sayings of Jesus. We're so cute with our colloquialisms and trying to make things 
sound good, but the three most powerful words ever uttered in human history were three simple words. Those words were, it is finished. Imagine when Jesus uttered those words before he gave up the ghost. He said, it is finished. And then the Bible declares he hung his head and died. Nothing else needed to be done. This wasn't a temporary fix. This was the final fix. It was the shedding of blood that would cause for the redemption of sin. Somebody give God some praise. Hallelujah. So you, let, me, let, me, let me just talk to you just for a minute about this word, about these three words. It is finished. It's from the, the word tele. Tetelestai, which literally means it is paid. This word is found written on receipts. Uh, it's something that you're used to seeing. It would be the equivalent in today's culture as paid in full. You know, when you own a house, you want to get that title back from the, the title company and stamp on that title. You want to see paid in full. You know what paid in full means? Paid in full means I don't owe nobody nothing. Uh, this is all mine. I don't have to keep paying for it because all payment has been made. So what Jesus is saying on the cross when he bows his head and he makes an atonement for our sins, he is saying it's paid in full. It's finished. But all these things, all these shadows, all these types, all these figures are pointing to God's only begotten lamb. Uh, one day, uh, here comes old John the Baptist. Uh, what a preacher. Brother, I tell you, Somebody said that he ate honey and he and he didn't preach it. Uh, man, he was God's man. He ate grasshoppers uh, and honey. As a matter of fact, he ate a grasshopper salad that had a trickle of honey on it. That's what he ate. He was God's man. He had a rock for a pulpit. He had a babbling brook for a choir. And he preached. He preached repentance. He was saying, there's coming one after me whose shoes I'm not worthy to untie. Finally, that day comes when Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee came unto John to be baptized. John the Baptist's heart must have skipped a beat. The Holy Spirit in John said, John, that's the one. That's my son. That's the Messiah. And do you know what John said? With tears swelling on his cheeks, he looks at Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, Look at him. Here comes the Lamb of God. You read about that in John 1 and 29. Think of all the thousands, millions of lambs that have been sacrificed on smoking Jewish altars. All of these were their lambs. They had to buy the lamb. They had to provide the lamb. Now, here comes God's lamb. A lamb without spot. A lamb without blemish. Do you know the day of atonement? was on the 14th of the month of Nisan uh, which corresponds to our month in April this is the day that this lamb was slain and you know the priest would go out on the 11th day 
and he would select the lamb out of the flock. He would go out into the yard and find this lamb. This lamb had to be without spot and it had to be without blemish. It had to be a male and he had to be young. This is why Christ died at the age of 33. He had to be in his prime and he selected this lamb and then he penned it up and they watched it for three days. Now you understand why the ministry of Christ was only for three years so that Jesus might be watched so that there might be no suspicion of sin that everybody would know that this is God's lamb and Jesus could say which of you convinces me of sin there was no sin in him and they took the Lord Jesus Christ you know and put him up on Calvary's tree we say sometimes he spilt his blood ah but if you really want to know the truth Jesus didn't spill his blood Jesus poured his blood out Jesus said no man take my life from me. I lay it down myself. John 10 and 18. You see, he said I could call 12 legions of angels if necessary. Do you know how many 12 legions of angels are? Oh, well, let me let you know. 72,000 angels. Now, what in the world would 72,000 angels do if when I read the Bible, I discover that one angel slew 185,000 men in one day. What would 72,000 angels do uh, if Jesus had called them and loosed them to come into the earth? Jesus is there on the cross and they are saying come down from the cross and we'll believe you. Uh, Jesus saved others but he could not save himself. This is what they declared. Uh, it was not himself he could not save. It was himself he would not save. Do you know who the man Jesus refused to save? Uh, the man that Jesus refused to save was himself. Now for all you preachers out there, there's a sermon title for you. I go ahead, I'll, I'll give you a license to use it. The man Jesus refused to save himself. Ah, uh, there was one that he refused to save and that was himself. He refused to come down from the cross. He could have but he would not. For this cause, Christ came into the world. He did not die a martyr. He was held to that cross. Uh, in fact, not really by nails, though the nails were there. He was held to that cross by the golden bonds of love. Oh, I'm saying to you today that this blood atonement was in the mind, in the bosom of God before the foundation of the world. Ah, before everything that was made was made, this 
plan was already in play. And as you study the Bible, you will find this scarlet thread that runs all the way through God's wonderful book, the promise of the blood, the promise of the blood. Oh, I feel something wonderful because I understand that when Jesus died over 2,000 years ago, oh, he bade me in his blood. Oh, this is a house. You've got to understand, people of God, your body is referred to as a temple or a temple which is reflective of the house where Jesus dwells. So you got some doorposts on your house and thanks be to God that God sent his only begotten son. He sent the lamb of God and when he sent him, he didn't send him to just live, but he sent him to die so that when he died, the blood could pour out so that I could take that blood and have it draped on me that the doorposts of this house could be marked so that I would be translated from death into life. Oh, hallelujah. Thanks be to God. The doorposts of house Jesse is covered by the blood. Oh, I'm not covered by fancy things. I'm covered by the glory of the Lord. I know to some it might be gory, but to me it is the glory on oh, the doorpost of this house. Oh, this house is marked with the blood. And because it's marked with the blood, when death came to get me, ah, hallelujah, when death came to get me, it had to pass over what is death well death is separation between me and God death is the putting away of my relationship with God all the thanks be to God that on that day 2,000 years ago Jesus shed his blood on Calvary so that this house could be marked this house could be covered this house could be saturated in the blood of the lamb and because it's marked with the blood of Jesus then the death angel has to pass over I'm translated from death into life oh you hear what I'm saying people of God if you want real life if you want to live a life for Christ you got to let the blood be put on the doorpost of your heart so when Jesus comes he can see the marking of his blood and know that he's welcome in your house. Oh God is a gentleman. He's not going to kick your door in but he stands at the door knocking. The question is will you let him in? Hallelujah. Will you let him in? Will you let Jesus in your house today? Will you let Jesus in your house? Will you let him mark the doorpost of your house with his blood so that you can be translated from death into life? He did what had to be done so that redemption could come. And he did it before you ever were. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. I encourage you, people of God, 
this day, you can turn your life over to Jesus. You can turn your life over to Christ because Jesus went behind the veil. And when he went behind the veil and he gave up the ghost, the Bible says the earth shook and the veil was torn. There's now no partition. You can now enter into the throne room of God. You can now enter into the Holy of Holies. You yourself can go. You can stand before God. As a matter of fact, the Bible declares that we that are in Christ, we that are seated in Christ, are where Christ is right now. And the Bible tells me that Christ is at the right hand of God Almighty. If you want to be in the presence of God, you don't need an invitation. If you're seated in Christ, you don't need to come and go from the throne room. You've got a permanent seat at the right hand of God in the throne room. Hallelujah. You have the opportunity today as you're listening to me. If the spirit of God is moving on your heart to just look up to God and declare, I need your blood to wash me. I need your blood. I believe in the power of your blood. Father, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Allow your blood to be marked on the doorpost of my life so that the death angel will pass over me so that I can be translated from death into life. People of God, this is your opportunity right here, right now to give your life to Jesus. God is preaching in this day for the day is far spent and the return of Jesus is so very close. This right now is your opportunity. This is your moment in time to change your destiny forever. All you have to do, Jesus, come in. I surrender to you. I can't, but I know you can. You're my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin, of my trespass against you. I love you, Lord. I love you. And today, in this very moment, if you utter these words, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the promise of your future is secure. You will be with Jesus in paradise. Oh, I thank you, hallelujah, Holy Ghost, for the power to preach your word today. I encourage the people of God, tune in next week. We'll be back in the sanctuary. We'll be back there to preach the word of God, to sing praises, to gather together in fellowship, excited about who and what God is. And next week, I'm going to tell you all about the power of the blood. I'm going to tell you about the power of the blood. You don't want to miss this next week.
Tune in next week so you can come to understand the true power that is in the blood of Jesus. I thank the Lord for you. I pray God's peace and blessings upon you. May his protection cover and keep you. May his prosperity fill your life. I thank God for you and by faith for everyone who's heard this sermon today and has decided that they would turn their life over to Jesus, who has uttered these words to Jesus that he would come into their life for every life that has been translated from the dark kingdom into the kingdom of God's dear son. I thank the Lord right now for the harvest that's coming in. Hallelujah. And I pray for you, and I love you, and I look to see you next week. God bless you, people of God.